Welcome to APQC's podcast. I'm Holly Lake Hoagland, Principal Research Lead for Process and Performance Management. I'm joined today by my colleague, Lauren Trees, the Principal Research Lead for Knowledge Management, and two of our speakers for our upcoming Process and Knowledge Management Conference in October. Both of the speakers are part of the Tools for Success track, which explores topics around analysis, data visualization, automation, and methodologies and other technologies. We're joined today by Margot Rose from Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco and David Meza from NASA to talk about frameworks, technologies, and methodologies that support their process and knowledge efforts. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for, for inviting me. All right. So the first question um, that we want to learn about, and I'm going to pose this question first to you, Margot, is can you tell us a little bit about the technology you're highlighting in your session and why you chose to pursue that technology. Sure. Um, So the technology that I'm working with currently is the robotic process automation, RPA for short. Um, It's, it is, I would say in the course of things, it's a new ish technology, but it's been around as far as, um, I think over a decade, but most organizations are still trying to figure out what are the best ways to use it, how to incorporate it, how to get a program off the ground. So um, I find that whenever I'm having conversations with colleagues and other organizations, oh, how did you stand up RPA uh, just typically comes up. So I thought it would be a great um, topic and hopefully really relevant to the attendees of the conference. Thank you, Margo. And I know RPA is super important for a lot of process work that we're seeing nowadays. So, great. David, I'd like to ask you the same question. Can you tell us a little bit of the technology you're highlighting in your session and why you're pursuing that one? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I, I guess the at the bottom line that the main technology we're focusing on are graph databases and graph algorithms along within the graph databases. Graph databases kind of came into uh, the mainstream probably about 10 years ago um, with, with some uh, new companies coming out, uh, Neo4j, TigerGraph, some of those companies that are utilizing graph databases. Uh, in particular, a particular type of graph database around label property graphs. Uh, these, this technology kind of allows us to see our data in a different way than we would in traditional databases. It allows us to look at the relationships across our data a lot easier, which really allows us to find uh, various clusters, patterns, and latent information within our data a lot easier. And the graph algorithms that we're able to use really speed up the process of being able to find that information connect data in, in ways that we haven't been able to do in the past. Awesome. Thank you very much. So it's really interesting to hear about the different technologies, and I can geek out on this stuff all day long, but I would like to hear from both of you about what the impact is on end users and how this is helping people within the organization work smarter, scale better, those kinds of things. And David, do you want to start? Sure, be happy to. So... Um, as we look at our graph databases, how, how they right now, since we're really kind of eight, eight months into this project, uh, the people that are really uh, impacting right now are the developers and the analysts of people data. Uh, so the, in the domain I work in right now is people analytics within the human capital office at NASA. Uh, so our focus is to really understand our workforce, 
to understand uh, the skill sets our workforce has, the knowledge they have. Um, and, and it's really given us an ability to look at our skill gaps, uh, look at what skills we may be losing due to attrition. Uh, it also helps us to analyze and find things such as training paths, career paths, succession planning, uh, utilizing these different types of connections as we connect people to their skills or what I call KSATs, knowledge, skills, abilities, tasks, and technologies um, to their work roles or to their training. And having these three different domains put together allows us to really answer a multitude of questions within the organization. So from an analytical perspective, it's really uh, uh, really exciting to see some of the things we can do. As we progress though, uh, it'll be easier for employees and supervisors to find the work roles they wanna to, want to participate in or find the employees, um, experts, or, or other types of mentors within this database to really become more of a recommendation engine for them. I think that's great. I love looking at it at both levels, how it's helping analysts and people who are looking at the data and also how it's ultimately going to help end users. Margo, what about you? How is RPA affecting the people within the organization and helping them work better or differently? Sure. We, um, I guess at the original introduction of RPA years ago, the worry was, you know, uh, team members would find themselves maybe at risk or threatened by the concept of a bot taking over some of their work. And really what I've found over the last couple of years is um, the team members themselves are raising their hands saying, I want a bot to do this particular task because I have to do it every single day or every single month and it consumes so much time and I can't wait to not do it. Um, so from a, at very first, um, totally the response is a little different than originally like prepared for, right? So now we're dealing with, I can't wait for it to happen and how do we get it to happen faster? Um, the second way that it is impacting users is um, outside of desiring a bot, now like, yes, I want a bot, um, is the wait, your process isn't as uh, automatable as you thought it originally was like um, and it it really gets team members to consider the work that they thought was mundane or um, routine and understanding the few ways that maybe it differs month over month or day over day and um, I think from that angle for myself especially as a as a process I, I use the word mechanic like a process mechanic is um, you know there's things that team members just um, internalize and don't necessarily recognize as being different time over time or what's variations. And um, this really going through the process of building a bot causes team members to critically think about their work. And um, it's, it's funny because it also opens up dialogue with the, the technology team as well when they're like, this is what we're talking about with variation. And now a team member can kind of pinpoint exactly where they depart from what would have been a typical routine. So I think, I guess, ultimately, the best impact is it's getting team members almost re-engaged with their routine or standard work um, and starting to find the ways to eliminate manual tasks, but understanding it more deeply. 
Margaret, you kind of answered our next question in, in your response a little bit, um, which was, I know, just because you build it doesn't mean they are come. And we know this for like the last five, six years of, of rolling out technologies, right? Um, but how did you kind of actively engage people to get comfortable with it? What were kind of the tactics that you used then to get them to that point where they're like, yes, please, I want a bot right now? Wow. Um, I think the very first thing is getting one built and demonstrating it. So you always need to have somebody who's willing to be um, first in line. And and we have those. We we know that there are team members like that because that's just that there's the natural curve of population anyway. So there's going to be people who are front runners and, and standing in line for that next new thing. So the best Honestly, the best way to get others to try it is to have a first one built. Um, once we got through the very first one and we could demonstrate, like, not only did team member not lose their job, um, but was actually able to go and do something more interesting, that I think was the, 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 the key that opened essentially what I would say the floodgates. Now, whether or not um, you can develop that many bots that fast, that's different, but actually generating the desire. Um, And I think honestly, it's truly like a marketing campaign for any new product. You have to understand who you're trying to get it in front of, get a version in front of them that resonates with them, and then also show the benefits. So I think it's hard for me. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't do too much um, other than get a bot in front of them. Um, But that was pretty much the, the key getting something tangible in front of them totally it's all yeah. oh sorry sorry it's all theoretic until they see it in action they're like oh no my job isn't disappearing just that piece and that piece is still here it's still doing what i need it to do um yeah David, the same kind of question. So how have you engaged people in the business to get comfortable using uh the graph database and the algorithms I think the more logical question is how haven't I? Um, I think they get tired right now with me actually coming to them and they, and they kind of run away when they see me coming. Uh, but seriously, I, th- I think, you know, a lot of it's in line with what Margo had just talked about. Uh, over the years, I found that uh, creating a, a, an example, a demonstration, an MVP, prototype, whatever you want to call it, um, and, and really showcasing it. So my normal track is to find a problem, find an issue that's uh, highly visible, that if you're able to solve it, uh, it provides a lot of impact, uh, and then work on that. So what I've done in the past is, is just like Margot, is go out there and create a product, find that, find a solution for that problem those people were having, get it working properly, get it working right, and let them try it. But then I would write up uh, an article, a blog, or something about it, and then post that on our, our, on our internal uh, channels, and just post it out there, let people see what we're doing with examples and, of course, how to contact me for more information. And inevitably, within the first five minutes of that article going out, I would get five or ten phone calls. Hey, this looks awesome. What did you do? Can, can we try this out? And that just starts building the momentum. Um, that was when I was more in my development phase. Now that I'm more into the, the strategy side and development side, I really just go out to the senior leaders and just kind of show this to them um, and, and show them the capabilities and the value. Uh, for those type of guys, you really have to show them what value am I bringing with the money I'm going to spend to do this. And if I can really show that value and show how it's easier for us to do our work, uh, then it kind of sells itself at times. 
You've both pointed out that the technologies you're working with are not 100% new. They've been around for a decade or close to that, but they're always a work in progress. So I'd love to hear from both of you what's next in your efforts, what you see as the next logical stage of development. And David, if you want to start, and then Margo, you can pick it up from there. Sure. Uh, definitely, graph databases have been around for a while. They're becoming more and more um, mainstream as, as, we, as the time has passed. Several companies have just recently received millions and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to further their graph database technologies. Uh, so I think seeing where that progresses first is, is looking at those efforts that are going there, and particularly adding additional graph algorithms and, and graph uh, science methodologies, uh, such as graph neural nets, uh, and those capabilities within our within our database and see where we're going. Um, but ultimately, I'd like to take it to where Marco's already using some of the things, RPA and chatbots within our tools to, to uh, automate some of the things that our employees may be searching for within our database, whether they're looking for a detail opportunity, they can automate that and, and have more of a push than a pull where they can get informed as time, you know, when something pops up that meets their criteria or same with training or, or something else, or, or even if they just want to keep up to date with who's doing what type of new things within the organization. Uh, so RPA chatbots is probably the next thing that I really want to look at to turn this more into a recommendation type of engine and capability. It's always interesting hearing how people are layering some of these technologies on top of one another and using them together. Marco, what about you? What's the next step for RPA and this landscape in your organization? I'll tell you, I would love for it to be graph databases. That's exactly what I want it to be doing. Um, but uh, seriously, uh, it's interesting because bots, because it's considered automation and it's technology, and depending on the industry um, that one is operating in, um, they can be kind of scary. Uh, when I say scary, I mean scary to the tech team, scary to regulators, scary to auditors, um, because this word automation um, makes it feel a little, um, I guess, like a black box. So um, where I'm hoping that we are able to uh, pursue a bit further is the concept of citizen development. So citizen bot development. And um, again, I think different um RPA solution providers use maybe different terms, but it's really the bot that the individual can build at their own desk. And um, there's some really good technologies that are becoming more and more, I guess, inexpensive, free, or, um, and again, it depends on your, your organization, but also like Microsoft is starting to bundle some of these capabilities within either Office 365 or their Excel programs. So I think that um, what I'd like to see is more team members developing some of the skills and listening to David talking about, you know, skills and knowledge. It's like really understanding automation and, um, you know, small micro automation at your own desk is a skill set, and it's something that I would expect our, our team members needing to pick up. Um, so yeah, in the future, not just um, bots that can be deployed essentially enterprise-wide and governed and managed through an orchestrator within the technology teams, but adding onto that to have citizens or team members building their own bots that are just housed within their, their domain and, um, and able to deploy 
in, in the super micro level. Thank you all for the conversation and the insights. Um, and thank you all for listening to this APQC podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to APQC podcasts and visit apqc.org to learn more. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.